0: Now let's read from verses 19 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 31. 19 to 31, shall we read together? Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, <coughs> and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so. <coughs> He showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever since ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever since you retain, they are retained But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen, and the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and I will I will not be and after eight days again, his disciples were with him, and Thomas with them, that in Jesus, the Lord, was being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be done. unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy hand, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, believing ye might have life through his name. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's turn to him in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us in your house. Lord, as we approach thy throne, we ask again for cleansing, for washing in the blood of Christ. For we know we have sinned against you in many ways. Lord, reveal to us that we may confess and repent. And Father, we pray now as we come, may your Holy Spirit open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Lord, that we may know your word that we may turn to you in love and devotion. And Father, we pray especially that we will see our Savior more and more, and know his heart, that we may love him in return. And Lord, we pray that you be with every group tonight who is studying thy word. Lord, strengthen the faith of your children. Lord, feed feed us with your holy scriptures. Be with us, we pray. Remove all tiredness and distraction, in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so, now, we do a quick revision. Um, Chloe, do you remember what scene is this? What just happened? What happened before this? Jesus was. This scene was. Did you read with us? No. All right. You have you have your Bible. Okay. This was Jesus speaking to the disciples, right? What happened to Jesus just before this? Do you remember? No. Okay, Jennifer, what happened to Jesus before this? He resurrected. Very good. He resurrected. Right? Christ resurrected and this was Christ appearing in the resurrected body to the disciples. Now, you must not miss this scene. Here is the Lord appearing to the disciples and telling them, before he went back to heaven, telling them exactly what he desired of them. So these were literally some of his last words on earth, physically, before he returned to heaven. So, are the last words that someone say to you before they leave you, are they typically very important? They will choose very carefully, right? They will think very carefully exactly what they want to tell you. So this is a scene where the disciples Will meet Christ and Christ will say some things to them, right? So I hope that we will not miss this point. Now we put ourselves in their shoes. Now, okay, try Chloe again. Chloe, do you remember when you read? What were these disciples fearing? What were they feeling? Happy? Were they happy? No. <laughs> All right, Brenda. They were. They were frightened. They were scared. They were frightened because of the Jews, right? So now, Christ appears to them. So, pretend, or rather, let's take ourselves back to that day, okay? The Lord's day, we are there, and then Christ comes, is in our midst, comes into our midst, and then he speaks to us. So we are sitting there, or we are audience, and then we are watching what Christ is saying to the disciples. So this is the scene that we are going to read. So now, very quickly also, do you remember? um, Christ said, peace unto them, Twice, twice. Now, what is Christian peace? Um, Ignatius, what did we learn? A lot of Christian likes to go to church because I want to find peace, right? I want to find peace in church. I want to become a Christian because there is peace. Hmm? So, what is, what is this peace here? Why did Christ keep saying peace unto you, peace unto you? Be are of the Jews Now, is this fear, fear of exams? No, you're just having exams Or fear of um, um, not having something that they wanted Now this is a fear of life and death Okay, a fear of life and death And the Christian have to understand When Christ said, peace be unto you Immediately look, look at verse 21 okay, Let's try um, Esther Verse 21 Then Christ said again unto them Peace be unto you As my father sent me so sa- Even so send I you So what do you think that Christ's peace is To the believer What is it for? Salvation, the sovereignty of God. Salvation and the sovereignty of God But if you look at this verse What do you think Christ's peace was about? What was he wishing them Peace for? If Christ said to you today, Esther, peace be unto you, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. And this is the second time he said peace to you. Okay, you'll be there, still not very sure what Christ, why Christ said this to you. Susan, why do you think, what peace was Christ wishing his disciples? Yes, peace to go out and share the gospel. That's why he said twice, first time peace, because he knew they were frightened for their life, right? If they live for Christ, they might die. And then this time when he met them, he said, Now, please know, I will give you peace. Even as my father has sent me, I will send you. Remember the father sent him and he came to this world and he suffered many persecution. Right? But now he says, don't worry, you go. As my father has sent me, I, I will send you and I will give you peace. So the Christian peace. So Ignatius, why do you come to church? Why do you want to believe in Christ? For what kind of peace? Okay, So now you know What kind of peace would you be seeking from Christ When you live this life? Okay But yes, assurance of eternal life That's one, yes In a the sense they know that When they die, they'll go to heaven, right? So don't, they don't have to fear They don't have to fear serving the Lord When they die, they're going to heaven They see Christ resurrected This is real I will go to heaven Christ is, Christ is true But this peace is really the Christian's walk on earth You may be persecuted for your faith Maybe at home, maybe at work, maybe one day as a Christian in Australia Now, if you seek the peace of the world I just want to have a peaceful life, no trouble Ha, I become a Christian, God will bless me and protect me and take care of me I will have no trouble What will happen? What do you think will happen, Shenrei, when trouble happens? You lose your faith. You give up. You run away and you deny Christ. Right? So Christ says, I give you this kind of peace. The Christian seeks what kind of peace? The peace that will enable you to go through your Christian life, serving Him, living for Him. Alright? Okay, so I just want to dispel this whole gospel of you believe in Christ There will be no trouble in life He will bless you And you will just have a wonderful, wonderful life And there's no trouble right? Christ, when He wished them peace He was knowing that the Christians Will suffer difficulty on earth Okay? Now, what happened one day If you take up a job And then to stand for Christ You are bombarded hmm? People write against you on the Facebook People text you For your for living rightly, for not doing things that you know are sinful, will you have peace? Christ said, have peace. But if you're seeking only worldly peace, you get fed up. Okay? Now, very quickly, now we move on. Okay? So that was one of the things I wanted to emphasize um, at the last time you we were here. Now, here we move on to this question which I left with you the last time and I asked you to think about it. See, anyone thought about it? I said last time. When Christ, I think I asked Shen when Christ died on the cross, what did he? What was his last words? Among his last words, it is, it is finished. All right, it is finished. Caleb, when Christ said it is finished, means what is finished? His work of. Work of. Work to do what? Work to save us, right? Work to save us, all right? So when he dies, it is finished means he finished. Caleb's work of salvation that is complete. Okay? Now, so if at that time you believed in him and you died like the thief on the cross, the thief on the cross, Christ said, You'll be with me in paradise this day, right? So those that believe in Christ, when Christ said it is finished, up to that point it is finished, up to that point, will they go to heaven? Yes. Proven. So if that were the case, why don't Christ just His finished work died. He died and then work is finished, people will go to heaven. The Old Testament saints who believe in Him are all safe, right? Christ in heaven. Why must He come back and resurrect? Done already, complete. Why have resurrection? What's the point of it? So anyone thought about it? I left you with that last question. It's finished. We will all go to heaven. Why must Christ resurrect? And He made sure that they knew he's resurrected, right? He came and said, please touch me. Please know that I am flesh and bones. Please know that I came back in the human body. It was so important. Look at this, look at this passage. It was so important. Verse 27. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, verse 27. No, verse 25, sorry. Now he says, uh, we have seen the Lord except the people saw, right? I shall... And then Thomas say, Unless I see in his hands the print, the nails, put my finger through. And then when 27 came, when he met Thomas, he really said, yeah, touch me. You know I'm, I am flesh and bones. And at other time he said, let me eat something. Huh? They're the account. Let me eat something. I'll prove to you I'm flesh and bones. I'm not a spirit. So why? Why do you think so? Uh, Hannah, why do you think so? Why so important? We are already saved. We will go to heaven. Is it to show that there is the resurrection so we too will have the glorified body? That is correct But the question still Why must we have a glorified body? We will be in heaven We can be already eternally in heaven Why bother to go through this whole process of resurrection and give the Christians a glorified body? By the way, there's another question about glorified body Why? Why do you think so? Esther, why do you think so? Why? We're going to heaven already To show that he is God Wow, he already saved us We'll go to heaven and and in spirits um, See him face to face We'll know he's God We are in heaven Wow, this is real He is indeed God Now take some time on this Because this is very important For the Christian to realize Samantha, why do you think so? Okay? To show that the physical body is important to Christ, that is correct, it's important. But why is it important? Brenda is is <laughs> why? Why? Yeah, you're you're alright. Thus far, it's important to Christ. It's so important that he made sure they know really resurrection, I'm back. You, got a, you thought about it, you got an answer but then you forgot yeah, sounds like me <laughs> why, why, Ichung? why? is it because it was his intention from the beginning that um, men have bodies is it because it was Christ's intention right from the beginning that men have bodies yeah, that, that would dwell with him in bodies that would dwell with him in bodies yes, alright, and we see why is the reason after God intended in his original plan that man has man has a body understand that? Okay. That is God's original creation plan. Ignatius, when God created Adam, how did God make Adam Adam? He took him from the does and then after that he b- breathed life into him correct and then he is a living soul <coughs> means a living human being that has a body now are there they say oh that we may worship him and and so on right now are there are there creations that are not in the body Remember oh no Gen- jennifer are there other god's creation they worship him, but they don't have bodies. They're called what? What are just spirits only? Angels, right? Angels. <laughs> angels. They are angels which God created. But when it came to man, now God did not give bodies to angels, right? But when it came to man, God gave bodies to man. Very important. He said, I intend that men have bodies. But when man fell, what happened to the body that God originally intended? The body got corrupted by sin, right? The body will die, correct? When God first made man, was the man's body supposed to be perfect and not die? Yes. But when man committed sin, then the body now, God says because of sin, the body you experience death. How many kinds of death? Do you remember, Susan? How many kinds? Three kinds. What are they? Good death, bad death (laughs) Physical, spiritual And then the second death Alright, physical death Happened Physical death was not supposed to happen Now So first of all We know that when God created man Although man can serve him, can worship him Just like angels in the spirit But he said, no, man, I intend to have bodies, right? Okay, so In other words, it's a big so God created Adam and Eve, right? God created Adam and Eve. Now God created Adam and Eve, intending Adam and Eve to live eternally, serve, worship Him, with a body. Okay? There'll be angels. Shouldn't draw angels, all right? There'll be angels. Angels, that say have wings, alright? There'll be angels. How are the form, I don't know. There are angels. They worship God, yes. They praise God, yes. But when it comes to man. God intended man to do that in a body. But man fell, and because of that, man will die physically. Then when Christ came, Christ was Christ's intention? Was Christ's salvation plan simply to save the soul of man and soul of man go to heaven? No. Christ's salvation intention is to bring the final state of all his believers. The final set of all believers back to the original intent. Understand that that is the reason why Christ did not just die. People will go to heaven, right? The spirit will go to heaven. But it is not complete in the sense God intended that it come back to the original state. So the resurrection is needed so that we will eventually in in millennium after millennium be in a human body okay that is the intention thereafter will the body still die will the body ever die no correct it won't die it will be exactly what God intended in the beginning it won't die it won't have sin so all this entire process salvation is to bring us to this state okay now so it's still, the question still remains um, Wait uh, I think I don't have a question sheet Can I have a question sheet? Thank you Okay, so So um, Alright, so why I actually missed out on this? One. Why is this doctrine important? Why is this doctrine important? Why is resurrection important? So why? Ignatius. Now, why is resurrection important? Because God intended that glorify and and serve and worship Him in a bodily form, just right from the beginning. Okay, that's why God must restore it. So, so spirit go to heaven. That is not God's final plan. Now, so why must we be resurrected one day? Because you're supposed to reach this state. Okay, that is the whole point of Christ's work of resurrection. Now, next thing. Um, I will ask you question one first, then we come back to this point. Question one, does the Bible tell me what kind of body I will have at my resurrection? Does it? Because someone, um, when someone challenges you, Okay, so for example someone challenge, uh, yeah, Maybe the older ones Alright, someone challenge, Elaine Alright, a Christian comes to you Elaine, your church teach about um, The uh, millennium and resurrection and all that And then a Christian challenges you and says There's no such thing Yeah, I believe in resurrection But there's no such thing of like a glorious body You know, we'll, we'll just be We'll suffer, we have a body But that's all how are you going to answer? In, the person say, no such thing as glorious body. Uh, it says in the Bible. It in the Bible. The glorious body. Okay, it describes the gl- glorious body. Very good. Now, um, because I think someone was stumped when someone says to the person, said to the person, there's no such thing as the glorious body. The Bible doesn't teach that. <gasps> So what if someone says, a Christian says, the Bible doesn't teach that Are you ready to answer the person? You say, oh yeah, that's true I just keep hearing pastors say, we have the glorious body, we have the glorious body, we have the glorious body But the Bible doesn't teach that The body will be the same as Christ's right Because your pastor keeps saying that Right? Then I realize it's true, I keep telling you that But there are some verses that I've read to you but... It never occurred to me that maybe you, you just hear and you never really going and convince yourself One day you resurrect, the body not so glorious after all <laughs> Alright, so um, Esther, is it true? You also hear Reverend Koshi talk about it <laughs> Then someone said, no such thing like Reverend Koshi, Joseph learned from Reverend Koshi yeah. Keep talking about glorified body Is it true? Then the person said, yeah, is it true? The person says the Bible didn't teach then the person can't find the verses. So we better um, know the verses. Okay, Elaine, any verse? This, um, in Romans, or Romans or Matthew? What about it? What, what verse? What did it say? Um, it talks about the, the? the. No, actually, that's the wrong verse. That's the wrong verse. Because we know Christ came back with a body that is physical, right? And we know that the doors were locked. Verse 19, the doors were shut. And then Christ could appear there it means Christ could walk through wall. It's a physical body can walk through wall. All right? And we also saw Christ fly up and down, right? So, we, say, we wow, we have that body. Say, no, Christ can walk through wall, but you when you try, you go knock into it. <laughs> and break the glass. <laughs> We have the same body. The question is, is it true the Bible doesn't teach that? So how? Joash, does the Bible teach that? Joash wants to excuse himself. (laughs) Like in in class the same. (laughs) Justin, does the Bible teach that? Yes. But where? Okay, anyone who found it, please share. Alright, let's, so you write this down. If anyone ever challenge you, the Bible doesn't teach that we will have a glorious body. Okay? Then you say the Bible does teach us that the Christian will have the glorious body. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Okay, let's Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Shall we read this together? Philippians 3:21. Hear that? Alright, reading. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now does the Bible teach us that we will have a glorious body like Christ? It doesn't get any clearer here, right? Is it clear? It's very clear. Okay, it's very clear. So the next time someone say the Bible doesn't teach that, turn to... Now who Christ, verse twenty one, Christ will change our vile body. Means this body that will corrupt, that it may be fashioned. It will be made like the same kind, fashioned, like what? Like unto His, His what body? His glorious body. Means His resurrect, resurrected body, according to the working power, working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Can Christ do that? Yes. Okay, so, does the Bible teach that? Absolutely. And what will this body like? We read just now. Many other things, okay? Flesh and bones, for example. Now, does the Bible teach that there will be different kinds of body? Now, turn to... Now, what is this body like? Is it spirit? Turn to Luke 24, 39. Luke 24, 39. So, you copy this. Write it in your Bible somewhere And know that it is true Look forward to this Luke 24 verse 39 Shall we read together? Luke 24 39 Oh, sorry 1, 2, reading But they... Const- hey, hang on Okay, let's read together And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? Uh, Sorry, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Did Christ say that I have flesh, I have bones? You poke, it's flesh. You, You squeeze, there's bones. So we know that there will be flesh, there will be bones. Okay, that's for sure. Now, so this is Christ's body. We will have the same body. It is not spirit. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, let's read verse 41 to 43 together. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 41 to 43, reading. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, For one star differs from one, another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So does God say our body will be raised in glory? It will be like the glorious body of Christ? Yes, very, very clear. Um, Without a doubt. The Bible says that. Okay, now, let's read verses 1 Corinthians 15, same place. Shall we read verse 20 to 23 together? But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Verse 21, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, here God says that Christ risen from the dead is the first fruits of them that slept. What does it mean? What does it mean? Kenny, what does it mean? Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. Christ is the first fruit of them that slept. Christ is the first one to resurrect. Christ is the first one to resurrect. Okay, Jennifer, you think so? Christ is the first fruit of them that slept. You think so? Christ is the first. Okay, yes. Christ is the first to have the glorious resurrected body among all that sleep. When Christians die, it is called sleep. Hmm? It's called sleep. Not like when you sleep at home. You say, mom, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to sleep. Christian sleep is the body. Christian will emit the soul immediately in heaven, right? But the body is What God says sleep Means it is at rest Sleep One day it will get up Okay That's why it's called sleep Means the Christian's body One day will get up Will rise Will rise And Christ is the first And we always say right Why is Christ's resurrection The first fruit Why is the first The first of its kind Understand All the others Are not called This kind of resurrection Now uh, Joash Why is Christ's resurrection Called first fruit You have exam today no. Why is Christ's resurrection called first fruit? Did other people rise, have resurrection before the others? When Christ resurrected Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. Did Christ resurrect Lazarus? Lazarus came back to life, right? There were others when Christ died on the cross, the graves were opened, they come back to life. Why is it called Christ is the first? There was others before him. His body is? Still with him means what? Body still with him Another way to say He did not die again Right? He did not die again This is that glorious one Which will not die So Christ is the first one To have that glorious body That does not die Okay? And Christians will have that one day So that must be very clear In our hearts and mind Now here God makes um, Tells us Also that there will be the rapture They will sleep They will resurrect Now here is a question to you when you die, okay? When you die, are you sure you will have the resurrected body? One day. Will you are you sure? That you will definitely have a resurrected body. Because there are two kinds of resurrection. Turn with me to John. Okay. Now, when Christ spoke to the people about the resurrection, now he made mention of two, resur- two kinds of resurrection. And when he talked to the people, he says, now you have to understand what I'm saying to you, because and you, you need to be warned. There is a resurrection unto life, and there is a resurrection of damnation. Oh, where is it? Bread of life. Say again. 528. 528. Okay, yes. Now let's look at chapter 5. Now, here Christ told the disciples very clearly. Chapter 5, verse 28. Now, he says, let's read together, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which that all in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They have done good unto the resurrection of life. They have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now, please know, one day you either be resurrected with the resurrection of life, means you have the glorious body you live forever, or... One day you'll also be resurrected, but God calls it the resurrection of damnation. Done evil means what? Means you refuse to receive Christ. You refuse to accept Christ. You refuse to repent. You continue to live in your sin. You don't want to repent and turn to God. Those that continue to do evil. Now, if you think that, hey, I go to church, right? I go to Bible study. I even go prayer meeting. I even read the Bible. I pray. I call myself a Christian. All my friends know I'm a Christian. One day I die, when I get up, I'm gonna have the resurrected body like Christ, the glorious body. Now, don't be so sure unless you're very sure. There is a resurrection of, there are two kinds of resurrection, Cornelius, one is resurrection of life, the other is resurrection of damnation. You wake up one day and think that, ho, oh, oh, I'm gonna, but you have the resurrection of damnation. You find yourself in hell. In hell, you will one day be resurrected bodily also for judgment. Now you make sure that you have truly tell Christ: Christ, I heard about you, I know about you, I call myself a Christian, but I have not asked you to forgive me of my sins. I'm not willing to turn away from my sins. Please forgive me, save me today. You better have done that. If not, look at Revelations. Please turn with me to Revelations. Chapter 20, now this is the resurrection of damnation. If you are not a true believer, you just say you are, but you've never asked Christ to save you, you've never asked Christ to forgive you, you've never repented from your sin, but you think you're a Christian now. Here I want you to read with me verses chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to... um, 11 to 15. Shall we read? 11 to 15. Now, this is the future. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in those books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If you don't believe in Christ as your personal savior, you just lip service. Yes, I'm a Christian, but you've never repented of your sins. You never turned to Him as a savior. When you die now, your soul will go to hell Immediately, right? Chloe, correct? Unbelievers, so immediately hell But one day God will also bring up your body Remember, the sea will give up the dead So those unbelievers that went sailing or eaten by shark and threw up <laughs> the body in the sea or drowned in the sea um, God says they will give up their bodies The bodies will also be resurrected But that will be the resurrection of damnation You'll be judged. Okay, so the body um, of the unbelievers will also have the resurrection of damnation. will have the resurrection of damnation. So now, we understand the theology very clearly now. Okay, so that's good. So you have the verses? Very clear. Are you totally convinced now? Okay, quickly, Elaine. Which verse that says the Christian will have a glorious body? Very good. Philippians 3.21. So it's say if someone says the Bible doesn't say so It does very clearly Nothing can be clearer than that But that's a resurrection of damnation Be careful Now, number Now, why is this doctrine so important? I've answered Because God intends the believer to have a body And the body is, will be the, back to the original state As his original plan We will serve, worship him in the body So now I ask we I understand the theology? It's clear Question number two, how should this doctrine change my outlook of my body and my life on earth? How should it change? Now, great, I can answer and I say, wow, I'm going to have a glorious body one day. But we just studied, it is not just this. It is not just this. Well, the final state is this. But God wants us to know that the body is important to Him. Important. Is it important only when we reach this state? No. All throughout, the body, I'll put it the other way. The body is always important to God, understand? It's not only when it's resurrected, then you have the glorious body. The creation of man, God created man with the body. The body is important. Otherwise, you just go to heaven, that's it. Now, so now we understand that Therefore, if the body is so important to God That's why um, Paul says Whether I live or die I want to glorify God, correct? So Paul understood that Even when I'm living I want to make sure I glorify God Now, so how should this change your outlook? Samantha, how should this change your outlook about your body? First of all, you say Oh, I didn't know my body was that important to God Now I understand the body is very important And one day I will get the glorious body. But now to then, the body is still very important to him, right? Oh, before that, how do I... So, someone says, Shen the body now not important lah. Alright, now I'm convinced. We will have a glorious body. You win. But now to then, not so important. The important thing is, look forward to this glorious body. Alright? So, Shen how do you prove to the person that God says the body now is very important to me? Not just when you get the resurrected body. Before Samantha answers. <laughs> How do you prove this body now is very important? Say again? First Corinthians ten thirty one. Okay, let's turn to first Corinthians ten thirty one. Okay, can you read to us, First Corinthians 10, 31, reading? Okay, whatsoever you do, means you do, do what do in the spirit? No, do in the body, right? Even eating and drinking, that's physical, right? But I say, I'm not, still not very convinced. Okay, due to the glory of God, but is the body that important? No. You should not destroy. It. How do you know you should not destroy it? It's okay to smoke, drink, destroy my body. I don't worry. I'll get a glorious body one day. Now you're very close to those chapters. So let's turn to First Corinthians, chapter six, verse nineteen. All right, camping on on what should we say? First Corinthians six nineteen. So the best is to show Bible verses and convince ourselves. Does God really treasure, uh, value the body so importantly? Now, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, shall we read together? Reading, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Notice, The Apostle Paul split body and spirit Just It is not enough that the Christian Glorify God in the spirit The Christian must glorify God in the body Alright Now in fact he says That He was like What? Don't you know? So the Christians are living a life That is Not using their bodies rightly Then he awakened them What? You should know What are you thinking? Today, is that what you're saying, right? What are you thinking? No, Don't you know that your body is what? The temple of the Holy Ghost. Means God dwells with the body. The body is where God dwells with. Closely with you. Guiding, using your body. Which, And he, and he repeats again, which you have of God. You're not your own. Why? Because you're bought with a price. So no, when God saved you, did God just buy your spirit with the blood of his son? No, your, your body is also bought with a price. The body is included. Okay, so um, the redemption of the body is also paid by the blood of Christ. So is the body important? Yes, is that, that's why he said it's so important that you understand. Right from the beginning, God meant for... Okay, listen here. And then the answer will be easy for Samantha already. Right from the beginning, God meant for man to glorify him in the body form, right? And he said, because man fell, now God died and saved the soul and also purchased the body, right? Also purchased the body so that you have this state. Okay? So, then it says now, right at this time on earth, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The body is that important. So now, Samantha, how do you view your body now? What do you think it's for? To use it to glorify God. God. Alright? So how do I view my body now? I view my body as the temple of the Holy Ghost a holy um, um use to glorify God. Now, Christian, I really hope we are awakened to this fact. God did not say, wait till you come to heaven, you have the glorious body, then glorify me. God says, I purchase your body, you're the temple of Holy Ghost. Now glorify God with this body. So the Christian right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, was supposed to glorify God in the body, they fell. Does it change anything? No. God still says, when I save you this same body, although it will die, it's still supposed to be used to glorify me. Okay? So don't think that, oh, when I go to heaven, then I serve him, then I worship him, um, then, then I be holy. Now, you are supposed to view your body as to be used to glorify God Now, the next question is um, is the warning Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Is the body so crucial? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 Let's see how God views how crucial the body is Let's read verse 16 and 17 together, reading Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So if you're still not convinced that your body while on earth is important, then read this verse again and again. Understand, Jennifer? Understand, Cornelius? Why is the body, how does God warn, what is the warning? God says the body is very important, Cornelius. What is the warning when we don't use the body to glorify God but we use it to sin? God will destroy it. This is a very serious warning. God says now, if you continue to want to use a body um, for sin, you defile it. When you know that this body is supposed to be holy temple of God, God says I will deal with you. So don't think that you can just live any old oh how and think that this is not important. As long as in spirit, I honor God. God knows my heart. God says, no, what you do in your body matters. Now, what are then some of the areas you can think of that you defile the body? I hope you're convinced by now the body is very important. Justin, what are some examples of how you can defile the body? Say again. Lying when you sin okay but some things more obvious how what are some ways that a christian can defile the body the temple of god drinking, drinking. why does drinking defile the body uh, no i'm sure no i'm sure <laughs> drinking drinking what well, if you drink alcohol well, you... drink alcohol right it destroys the body the body um, is destroyed by taking drugs, ab- abusive things, um, alcohol that destroys the body. You know, people argue that um, a glass of wine is good for the body. Is it true? Well, medical student. who's the medical student? Any medical student? No medical student. No. Is it? Hmm. Say again. But yeah, does it? does it? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, uh, Don't know. Not really, no. not, really. not really? Okay. Now, there are as many studies that say it is good for you, and as many studies that say, one glass of wine or half a cup of wines as wine exponentially increases the potential of breast cancer in women. Do you know that? So you want to take the risk? But there are many scientific studies that shows the very detrimental effects of alcohol to the body Right? So Kawe is right, alcohol is one of it One of it Now, people say, but ah yeah, But it's good for health There are many things that you can do to improve your health, right? You can exercise There are many foods you can take there are many bitter drinks you can drink. <laughs> the Chinese soup. There are many things, but why must it be wine? You like to drink, just like to drink. That's it. Okay. Now, so alcohol, yes. So abusive things, now, how else can you defile the temple of God? Susan. Yeah, when you dress immodestly, spray profanely, right, that is defiling the temple of God. So why does the church ask men and women to dress decently, modestly? Why? Because you are the temple of God. Your body matters to God. Understand that? That is the reason. Not because we, we are old-fashioned church or anything. All right? It's because God says your temple, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So you should not defile it by immodest dressing. There's specific verses about that How else? How else can a Christian defile the temple of God? Cornelius Tattooing Okay Tattooing God says do not put marks on your body, right? Tattooing Okay Caleb So you're a Christian, if you truly believe in Christ, God lives in you. So God is with you, living with you, in you, all the time, right? How else can you defile the temple? Any ideas? Give up. Say again. What's that? Oh, not sure. Okay. So we ask the person behind you, alright? Ignatius. How else can a Christian defile the body? The body is very important, right? How else can you defile the temple of God? By behaving? Unseemly behaving behaving, um, crudely and all that, right? A bad testimony. Now, Chloe, what about, now, if God dwells in you, is with you, if you're a true believer, are you a true believer? I hope so. God dwells in you means everywhere you go, is it important? Is it important where you go? If you're the temple of God? Right? Do you want to bring the temple of God to somewhere where it's it's sinful? No. How can a Christian defile the temple of God? Be careful where you go to. Right? Be careful where you go, who you do things with. Now, where you go and what you watch and listen, can you imagine God lives with you? Okay, it's just because we don't see God, right? We don't know, we grieve Him all the time. So, Ignatius, uh, uh, okay, someone else, who else? Okay, Shen all alright? Someone very close to you. You're always with the person, you're aware of the person's presence, right? Now, over time when you're familiar, very familiar with the person already, we tend to be less what? less sensitive right we're less conscious of the person then you do rubbish things you know, you're not so when, when you're sensitive with the person's presence when you just know the person then you're very careful where you go what you do now because we get we take the presence of God in our life for granted hmm? that's why we sing those hymns Lord keep me sensitive and we sing hymns like words that say um, um uh, forgetting that God is near, right? We never watch our lips. We never watch what we do, what we think. Forgetting that God is near. What's the hymn? Uh, S- we have not known as We are right or something. Yeah, we have. We, yeah, we forget that God is near. He dwells with you. What you listen to. So, if someone, someone strongly hates. Um, bitter God, <laughs> bitter God, right? And then you stay there and keeps, st- and the person is stuck with you. So every meal you cook, bitter God, bitter God, bitter God. Everything you boil soup, bitter God. You know, bitter God with bitter God. And then the person every day just have to f- have to sit there and suffer that, right? That's what we do. What we stick our ears, stick into our ears to listen. God is with us. It's called grieving the Holy Spirit. Understand that? It's very grief. You sit there and watch your movies. You say, ah, no one is around. No one is at home. No, no one knows. You sit there and watch all those bad movies that curse and swear that uses Christ's name as, 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 as a swear word or whatever, um, things that you should not watch. Do you realize that you're defiling the temple of God? God is there and you constantly subject the temple of God this kind of defilement that's why he, he uses that to describe now I'm not saying God is stuck inside you huh? oh poor God he has to go wherever I go he's stuck with me it's not that kind of concept understand that but God is he dwells he indwells you so we can defile the temple of God in all this how do you view your body from today onwards now when Christ resurrected and he met with the disciples he wanted them to understand the body is very important Touch me, feel me. Know that there is the real resurrection. Later on, Paul will write about all this. Understand that? Paul will talk about all this. Um, so, my, my dear Christians, friends, this was Christ's um, desire for the Christian. I die and I redeem your body. Please, you, please live this life on earth very carefully, very sensitive. To his presence. Don't think that no one knows means there is nothing wrong. You are defiling the temple of God, and if you keep going on, God will destroy you. You think why those why those who abuse the body, they have all these kinds of sicknesses. People who commit all sorts of uh, fornication end up with also for diseases, right? Did God promise He will destroy you? He will. Right? And there are some Christians that have certain sickness. Now, I'm not saying that, I always, always emphasize that huh? doesn't mean a Christian is sick, means he have sin. But sometimes God destroy your body just to stop you from certain sin. Okay? So, please. Be aware. The body is important. View it differently. So now I ask you, question number two, how should I spend my coming holidays? Knowing now, I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. How are you going to spend it? Are you already planning what movies you want to watch? What you only listen to? Where you're going to go that you know you shouldn't go? What you're going to do? Just use the body for your own um, um Pleasure and do whatever, don't care about God, don't live for him, don't glorify him. Are you already planning those things? So now you know that where you go, what you listen to, what you watch, how you spend your time, just say, I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. God saved me to bring me to this state, but from now till then, what did God say? Glorify. Okay, let's turn there and we move on. First Corinthians 6 19. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Sorry, 1 uh, 6.20 1 Corinthians 6.20 Let's read together For ye are bought with a price Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's So now till then I am supposed to glorify God Is it true the chief end of man is to glorify God? Yes In the body? Yes With your body? Yes Okay Now if you make your body look like the carnal worldly people. I'm not saying you cannot dress, cannot be normal, but if you be as worldly as you can, well, you defile the temple of God. Okay, so next, let's move quickly. Oh. Ah, this one, very straightforward, but I also want to ask you, I increasingly begin to realize you all just take, 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 take. But if one day someone asks you, no, not true, can you prove them wrong from the Bible? Now, let's read verse 22 together. Let's read John 20, 22. Okay, John 20, 22. Reading. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So Christ is there and he breathed on them. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, So, many Christians say, look, the Old Testament people did not have the Holy Ghost. Like for example here, only when Christ was resurrected, then He gave the Holy Ghost to the people. And they say, now you receive the Holy Ghost. From here onwards, Christians who believe in Christ will have the Holy Ghost. Okay, so someone comes to Brenda and say, yeah, Old Testament people have no Holy Ghost. You see, from here, only New Testament period from here onwards, then Christians receive the Holy Ghost. How would you answer the person? This is one of the verses that, that people always get stumped and recently someone asked me again, but Pastor, this one, here then Christ said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Right? Christ on them. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Cannot be clearer than that. Not sure how to answer. Okay, after today, you will know. Okay, (laughs) all right? I always teach you to look at what? Look at three Cs. What's the first C? First C is context. All right, so look at context. All right, so you try, Brenda. Look at the context. When Christ said, receive ye the Holy Ghost, what is the context? They were scared, and then he said something to them, and then he said, "Receive ye the Holy Ghost." And when he had said this, right, verse twenty-two. And when he had said this, he breathed onto them. So the context is very clear for you. And when he had said this. When he was saying what I send you. I send you, right? So the context is about Christ sending them. And he says, Now I breathe the Holy Ghost to you. This is what kind of ing of the Holy Ghost. There's some in of the Holy Ghost and what's the word? indwelling of the Holy Ghost. What's the other one? In, in filling, right? The filling of the Holy Ghost. Is this indwelling or in filling? He said, I'm going to send you. You need power. You need to not be afraid, right? They were fearful, like you rightly pointed out. But don't worry. I breathe on you. you receive. Now, be very clear. You are receiving the power of the Holy Ghost. To go and be sent. Sent to do what? Very good. In Acts. Alright? In Acts. Acts chapter very good, Acts chapter 2. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Did Christ tell them, I'm going to send you, Acts chapter 1 first. Okay, maybe me ask someone else. Uh, because this uh, I explained so many times, and I realize people still don't seem to, maybe I keep talking, that's why. I need you to think. Alright, Esther. Acts chapter 1, where, what, where's the relation of Acts chapter 1 to what Christ just said, I send you? Okay, let's read verse 8. Acts 1, 8, read together. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Right? If you want, right next to the Bible verse about the uh, breathe. When he said breathe, he was talking about sending, right? I will send you. Did he send them here? Very clear. Don't just, don't just hang around Jerusalem. I need you to go beyond Jerusalem to Judea. Don't just, don't just be in your area. Go beyond this to Samaria. And don't just hang around Israel. Go beyond Israel. Right? He was sending them. And he related it to the receiving of the Holy Ghost. And this power was shown in Brandeset chapter 2, right? What was this power? We see it in chapter 2, the, they were given a special power. What was that power? Elaine, what was that power? Um, they could speak in languages that they have never learned. The, and they used that to preach the gospel. So is it consistent with what Christ said, I will send you as the Father sent me for the gospel? Yes. Did the people Were the people afraid? Did they have fear anymore? Yes, Chloe. Were they fearful? Did they have the power for the rest of their life? No. Okay. No. Um, it was only during that time. First Corinthians tell us that tongues will cease. All right. That part ceased. But the power to not be fearful to preach the gospel stayed with all of them the rest of their life, and us too. Okay. So you look at chapter two of Acts. The Peter that denied Christ three times—that we keep learning—in next chapter two, he will in, look page uh, chapter two verse fourteen. But Peter, standing up, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said. Now Peter is the one that preached the gospel, so he's going to preach the gospel very powerfully, and he even um, scolded them. Okay, he even scolded them. Look at verse twenty-three. Him, which is Christ, being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and ye by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Wow. Look at Peter's courage now. These are the people who crucified Christ, no? And say, You all, not you all nice people, uh, you wicked people, wicked hands. Was he courageous now? Before that, just a girl turned up, he already panicked, right? So he was courageous. Is it true? Is it this is about the, the giving them the power to go forth, to evangelize. But now the question is this. Did they have the Holy Ghost before this? Hannah, did they? So you say, okay, well, I have power, but it so also can be that in the New Testament, then they start receiving the Holy Ghost, then they have this power. I don't disagree with you. But they didn't have the Holy Ghost before this. You not understand my argument, Esther? People can say what? Well, yeah, 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 I agree with you. Christ was giving them power. I agree. But they did not have the Holy Ghost before this indwelling. So if the Christians still argue with you. Say again. Romans 8 verse 9. 8, verse 9. Very good. Now Romans 8 9. So can you please read all this in your Bible once and for all? So Brenda, next time I ask you, say, ah, I'll answer you. Anyone who make you doubt, because if not, you will doubt, you know. Now, this weekend, this Sunday's pastoral, I wrote about this. This coming Sunday. So please read it. I say to, to you all, don't just say yes, 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 yes. But you don't have conviction. Because you don't see it from the Bible. Then someday someone challenge you. No, it's not in the Bible. Then you begin to doubt, okay? Alright? So, Romans 8, 9, let's read together. But are yeah, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So which part, Hannah? The second part. Now, God says, Chloe, listen carefully. Huh? Everyone listen carefully. He says, Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. What does it mean, Chloe? If you don't have the Holy Ghost, means you are not God's. You don't belong to God. You're not God's child. Now, this... Now this verse okay, Ignatius if someone say no, ask Bender still (laughs) Bender, if someone say since Hannah bring up, ask Hannah Hannah, if someone say but this is New Testament, that's why I told you it's New Testament (laughs) only New Testament, and this is found in New Testament Yeah, any man in the New Testament onwards That's why when you link to John John say, ah, he breathed Then from here onwards, any man Before that, they did not have the Holy Ghost um, No, yeah, they are saved, but they did not have only New Testament onwards, then the indwelling happened. They don't have, really. <laughs> huh? Shen Ray, how? In Psalm 51, David said, take not that Holy Spirit. In Psalm 51, David said, take not that Holy Spirit. Only some of them had. But that's what I believe, you know, all, all my Christian life. In the Old Testament, only some had. The spiritual ones, like King David, he had, nah. <laughs> But the, the eyes don't have the rest, New Testament time onwards, then everyone has. Esther, you heard of those arguments? No? Okay. This very common argument. Alright? I, I need you to be very clear in your heart. Otherwise, one day you will doubt. Then you say, I think reformed faith is not correct. Hmm? The Baptists are correct. Because all these are found only in New Testament. Turn to John. Chapter ten. Uh, sorry, John Chapter fourteen, I think. John Chapter fourteen. Now, is John Chapter fourteen before or after Christ's resurrection? Susan? Definitely before, right? So Christ was with them. Now, let's read 17 together. Even, uh, sorry, 16 and 17. And I pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him. He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Okay, so... Um, still go to Still go to Brenda So Brenda Now let me ask you here The person will say in verse 16 And I want us to be very clear Verse 16 I will pray that the Father shall send you another comforter That he might be abide with you forever You see it means the comforter has not come We always saying the comforter has come The comforter has come Before that, heaven come then he said, I will, you see, Christ said, I will ask the Father to give you another comforter. Then, from then onwards, he dwells you, with you forever. See, New Testament. Only New Testament. Before that, the comforter hasn't come. <laughs> Susan, law student, you want to argue? Not really. Not really. <laughs> you see, we can't answer, right? So, is it true or not, the Reformed faith that, Old Testament believers, New Testament believers saved by the same way and they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not just some of them. Because Christ say, Christ himself say, "I oh, will, the Comforter will come. Then from there on, he dwell with you. Shen Wei. No. Okay. Joshua. How? It dwelleth with you and shall be in you. But I hate to be telling so is that it's with, it's not indwelling. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Now, 17, you still, can, you still can answer that. 17, Christ was talking to the disciples. He said, I will ask the Father to send you another comforter. Then after that, he did say, what did he say when, when concerning the Spirit? He, for he dwelleth with you. He dwells with you. He was talking to the disciples before his resurrection, right? So you think, huh? So you think carefully. No, ask Susan. All right? Susan, you're a law student. Alright, so you think. Now you have to argue this case Christ say He dwells with you So the, the disciples have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit before Christ breathed on them They had Right? Before His resurrection right? They already, Christ say You know Him He's dwelling with you Right? He's dwelling with you so now, Susan, why did Christ say, I will send another comforter? i want to end in five minutes, so you're going to win the case in five minutes. <laughs> why did he say, I will send you another comforter when he says he's with you? Ignatius? Do, you encourage them? Do I encourage them? That's correct. Hey, I never asked Clara. I thought I did this to death. You no, know, when I count this chapter, remember the context. When were was the context at this point? They were, and the disciples in chapter fourteen were sad. They were sad, right? Christ said, "I'm going away." They were very sad. Correct? That's why Christ used the word comforter. He's not saying the Holy Spirit is not with you. But he says, now the Holy. when I leave, after I leave, the Holy Spirit will comfort you. He's with you. They were sad, you're correct. I'm glad you remember. He's not saying the Holy Spirit is not with them. He's just saying the Holy Spirit now will play a new role, a comforting role. Now he says, you, but this Holy Spirit, you already know Him. He's, you've always known him, for he dwells with you. So now, okay, you help your client here, your client is losing. Someone is saying to you, "But this is dwell with you. dwell <laughs> with you. It's not in you. Ah. Before the Old Testament, this is still Old Testament to them. Christ heaven died and resurrected. So this is still the Old Testament believers. Old Testament believers, yeah yeah, the Holy Spirit dwells with you only New Testament, after breathing, dwell in you. So your client is losing. How are you going to argue? That's the same thing. (laughs) That's the same. Now, the reality, it is the same thing. Alright, you don't argue with space, alright? Can God dwell in you? Let me ask you, Esther. Can God dwell in you? God is a spirit. He is? Mm -hmm. Infinite. How does infinite squeeze into you finite? How to dwell in you? Can God squeeze Himself in you? I think it's not like I guess it's a It's not met- It's it's a description. You don't argue on in and with. All right, the whole point of Spirit indwelling means He is having He has an intimate relationship with you. Understand that. Okay, that is what it means. So you're right, it's not location so much. Okay, but still the person, if he still wants to argue, no, 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 location very important. Is with. Old Testament is with. Okay, the key hangs in, then we go to close. The key hangs in the next word. What's the last part? He said, you know him, he dwell with you and shall be, what? <coughs> in you. Shall be in you. Okay. So if you are not argue with, But Christ said, in what? Christ said, in, right? When Christ says, shall be in you. Okay, who's... Okay, English teacher. You're going to study English, right? No? Okay. Okay, pretend you're studying English. Oh, no. Okay, ask the adults. Okay. um, Eechung. Christ say, he will dwell with you and shall be in you. So I argue with you. Christ is saying, The Old Testament people he dwelt with, and then in future shall be right. Future he will dwell in you. God is um, uh, omnipresent. No, 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 no. (laughs) They're done already. (laughs) The argument done already. The argument, (laughs) the argument of location. The argument of location is not. He's not convinced still. All right. The judge is still not convinced. The location thing. But you see, even location here it says one is with, one is in. If if location is not important, then then why why Christ used one with, one in, one is present, one is future. Dwells is present, shall be is future. But in verse twenty, he says that um, I am in my Father and You in me and I in You, and He's speaking that present tense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, now let's go back to Holy Spirit. Don't don't muddle up the <laughs> issue. <laughs> right? Don't 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 try to be a lawyer. <laughs> alright, just stay on the verse about the Holy Spirit. Now I explain to you, alright? It's very simple. Remember the context. The context, Christ, he said, I am going away. Do you understand? Christ said, I am going away. I will not, I shall not be with you. Draw, draw. Hey, so you're not convinced yet, huh? Because y'all can't argue it, right? Then how can y'all be convinced? How can y'all be convinced if you can't answer all these questions? Christ said that Christ said, I'm leaving I shall not be with you Correct? I shall not be with you Correct? But Christ says, you're very sad I will ask the Holy Ghost To play a new role, He will comfort you. I will send Him. He will comfort you, right? This Holy Spirit, you already know Him intimately. He dwells with you and He shall be in you. Now, if you want to argue location, what's the context? Context is I shall not be with you. But He Shall be in you. Means he's saying this Holy Spirit has always been dwelling with you. You already know him. Right? I will go. But I tell you, the difference between me and the Holy Ghost is I shall not be with you, but he shall be in you. Unlike me, who will leave you physically, the Holy Spirit shall continue even in the future. Unlike me, who have to live in the future, even in the future, he shall be, continue to be in you, which he has always be in you. Understand that? No, Joshua, I still don't get it. What Christ is saying is very simple. I shall not be with you anymore. But the Holy Spirit, I have always been with you, but I shall not be with you at some point. The Holy Spirit has always been with you, and he shall always be with you, unlike me, physically. Cannot, because if you don't read this verse, you cannot understand. Ah. they say within, within. It's very simple. The context is Christ is leaving; the Holy Spirit is not going to leave you. He has always been with you. He shall be in you means he has been in you and shall continue to be in you, unlike me. Brenda, okay. If you're not clear about all this, uh, one day you're going to, someone's going to challenge you, you're going to read books, and you're beginning to question your beliefs. Understand that? Yes, I need you to be very clear. Why I need you to be very clear? Because this is God's truth. Understand that? It is, it is not about arguing with the Baptists, with the, with the, with the Dispensationalists. It's not about that. It's about this is truth. This is the Lord Jesus talking. You cannot distort what He say. And you cannot believe in something that is different what, with what your Lord always meant and is real in the Bible. Understand that? That is the whole point. Why I spend time to explain to your young people. is not to make you big-headed. Because this is truth, you must know the truth. If you don't, you can be waylaid easily. But the most important thing is, this is the truth. Your Savior say this, you cannot let people say that he did not say this and he was saying something else If you love the person, right? Okay, that's the important point So, um, Joshua, so if the person, I want to argue with and in, you know how to answer? The context He's been in you and he shall continue to be in you But I have been with you, but I will leave you Unlike the Holy Ghost, he will continue to be in you as he's always been Okay, alright I want to stop so that y'all can go downstairs. Uh, we'll come back and continue the next round. But the key lesson today is your body is important. Agree? You're convinced? You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. God save you. Even living now, please do not live your life any or how in your body anymore. You must have a new thinking about your body. Alright? Let us pray.